0: section thirty-one of lodore this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org lodore by mary shelley volume two chapter thirteen i choose to comfort myself by considering that even while i am lamenting my present uneasiness it is passing away Horace Walpole. An event occurred at this time which considerably altered the plans of Mr. and Mrs. Villiers. They had been invited to spend some time at Maristow Castle, and were about to proceed thither with Lord Maristow and his daughters, when the sudden death of Mr. Savile changed everything. He died of a malignant fever, leaving a young widow and no child to inherit his place in society through this unlooked-for event horatio became the immediate heir of his father's title he stepped from the slighted position of a younger son into the rank of the eldest and thus became another being in all men's eyes but chiefly in his father's viscount Maristow had deeply regretted his son's foreign marriage and argued against his choice of remaining abroad he was a statesman and conceived that horatio's talents and eloquence would place him high among the legislators of st stephen's the soundness of his understanding and the flowing brilliancy of his language were pledges of his success but savile was not ambitious his imagination rose high above the empty honours of the world to be useful was a better aim but he did not conceive that his was a mind calculated to lead others in its train its framework was too delicate too finely strung to sound in accord with the many he wanted the desire to triumph and was content to adore truth in the temple of his own mind without defacing its worship by truckling to the many falsehoods and errors which demand subserviency in the world lord Maristow had hitherto submitted to his disappointment not without murmurs but without making any great effort at victory he had written many letters entreating his son to cast off the drowsy neapolitan sloth he had besought villiers previous to his departure the preceding year to bring his cousin back with him and this was all the death of his eldest son quickened him to exertion he resolved to trust no longer to written arguments but to go himself to italy and by force of paternal authority or persuasions to induce his son to come back to his native country and to fill with honour the post to which fortune had advanced him he did not doubt that horatio would himself feel the force of his new duties but it would be clenching for his purpose and paying an agreeable compliment to clorinda to make this journey and to bring them back with him when he returned whatever mrs savile's distaste to england might be it must yield to the necessity that now drew her thither lord Maristow could not imagine any resistance so violent as to impede his wishes the projected journey charmed his daughters saddened as they were by their recent loss lucy was overjoyed at the prospect of seeing her beloved brother she felt sure that clorinda would be brought to reason and thus with their hearts set upon one object one idea they bade adieu to ethel and her husband as if their career was to be as sunny and as prosperous as they doubted not that their own would be Lord Maristow alone guessed how things might stand edward my dear boy he said give me credit for great anxiety on your account i wish this marriage of yours had not taken place then you might have roughed it as other young men do and have been the better for a little tart experience i do not like this shuffling on your father's part i hear for a certainty that this marriage of his will come to nothing the friends of the young lady are against it and she is very young and only an heiress by courtesy her father can give her as many tens of thousands as he pleases but he has sworn not to give her a shilling if she marries without his consent and he has forbidden colonel villiers his house he still continues at cheltenham and assures every one that he is on safe ground that the girl loves him and that when once his the father must yield it is too ridiculous to see him playing a boy-lover's part at his time of life trying to undermine a daughter's sense of duty he who may soon be a grandfather the poor little thing i am told is quite fascinated by his dashing manners and station in society we shall see how it will end i fear ill her father might pardon a runaway match with a lover of her own age but he will never forgive the cold-blooded villainy excuse me of a man of three times her age who for gain and gain only is seeking to steal her from him such is the sum of what i am told by a friend of mine just arrived from cheltenham the whole thing is the farce of the day and the stolen interviews of the lovers and the loud vulgarly spoken denunciations of her father vary the scene from a travesty of romeo and juliet to the comedies of Plautus or Moliere. i beg your pardon edward for my frankness but i am angry i have been used as a cat's paw i have been treated unfairly i was told that the marriage wanted but your signature my representations induced you to offer to miss fitzhenry and now you are a ruined man i am hampered by my own family and cannot come forward to your assistance my advice is that you wait a little and see what turn matters take once decided however they conclude strong representations shall be made to your father and he shall be forced to render proper assistance then if politics take a better turn i may do something for you or you can live abroad till better times Villiers thanked lord Maristow for his advice and made no remarks either on his details or promises he saw his own fate stretched drearily before him but his pride made him strong to bear without any outward signs of wincing he would suffer all conceal all and be pitied by none the thought of ethel alone made him weak were she sheltered during the storm which he saw gathering so darkly he would have felt satisfied what was to be done to go abroad was to encounter beggary and famine to remain exposed him to a thousand insults and dangers from which there was no escape such were the whisperings of despair but brighter hopes often visited him all could not be so evil as it seemed fortune so long his enemy would yield at last one inch of ground one inch to stand upon where he might wait in patience for better days had he indeed done his utmost to avert the calamities he apprehended certainly not thus spoke his sanguine spirit more could and should be done his father might find means he himself be enabled to arrange with his lawyer some mode of raising a sum of money which would at least enable him to go on the continent with his wife he spent his thoughts and wishes for the attainment of this desirable conclusion to his adversity till the very earnestness of his expectations seemed to promise their realisation it could not be that the worst would come absurd something must happen to assist them seeking for this unknown something which in spite of all his efforts would take no visible or tangible form he spent weary days and sleepless nights his brain spinning webs of thought not like those of the spider useful to their weaver a tangled skein they were rather where the clue was inextricably hid he did not speak of these things to ethel but he grew sad and she was anxious to go out of town to have him all to herself when she promised herself to dispel his gloom and as she darkly guessed at the source of his disquietude by economy and a system of rigid privation to show him how willing and able she was to meet the adversity which he so much dreaded End of volume two, chapter thirteen